0: Hi, welcome to the Wilkin and Gutton Plan podcast, where we're going to be discussing audit, tax, and advisory services uh, that really follow a wide scope of different industries. Today is October 5th, 2022. We're going to be talking about R&D uh, and the deductibility of R&D expenses. I'm Chris Frederick, an audit partner, and with me today we have Vinay Navani and Karen Arta-Sanchez, two of our firm's tax shareholders. As 2022 is progressing, we're seeing more and more clients change their position on their tax estimate calculations to include the effects of the current tax law, which requires capitalization and amortization of R&D costs. This monumental shift in the tax law is taking costs that had been expensed as incurred since the 1950s and forcing companies to capitalize these costs and amortize them over a period of five to 15 years. Vinay, do you want to get us started and give us a little bit of background to where the law stands today and maybe how we got here?
1: Sure. So let me, let me start with the geeky tax talk. So when we incur an expense or spend a dollar for U.S. tax purposes, we've got to ask ourselves, does that help us today or does that give us value that's going to span into a future year? And generally, the tax code is built in such a way that if, if the benefit spans in a future year, chances are it has to be capitalized, meaning you don't get a deduction against your revenue today. It gets baked into something else that you can recover over time. So The the benefit of the research tax credit or the research tax expense under what we call Section 174 is that it had a special carve-out. It said that if you're incurring research expenses, you can deduct those immediately. You don't have to worry about these other rules that might say you might not get the benefit for a future year. And these rules, Chris, as you mentioned, have been around since Eisenhower was president back in the original 1954 tax code, because that was considered, from a policy point of view, that was considered critical, that we have to encourage U.S. businesses to invest in R&D. So what has happened is that in 2017, there was a monumental tax law change known as the Tax Cut and Jobs Act that was passed in December of 2017. And there were a lot of uh, change that had nothing to do with research, uh, treatment of research expenses in that bill. But like all tax bills, they have to be revenue neutral, meaning that if they're going to give tax cuts in one area, there have to be tax increases in another area. We had all these really complex, generally tax favorable provisions, like the lowering of the corporate tax rate to 21%, or reform on the international side. And so baked into the calculation or the scoring was this provision that back in 2017 was not going to be effective until 2022, which was this change that we're talking about. Take dollars that you'd spend that are currently deductible and saying, okay, if the research is performed in the U.S., you have to capitalize it and amortize it over five years, meaning you get the benefit against your income over the next five years, not at once, or if the research is performed outside the U.S. to get it over 15 years. Now, in 2017, 2022 seemed like a lifetime away. All the commentators, all the tax community said, we understand why this is there to allow the budget scoring for the tax Cut and Jobs Act. But everybody expected Congress to come in and make a fix because it just seemed so contrary to public policy that we would not encourage people to deduct uh, R&D expenses.
2: And just as a quick aside, like historically, any negative provision related to R&D has always been extended at the end of the year. You know, the R&D credit has been temporary as far as I've been practicing Um, And they finally made it permanent because it was always something that was set to expire. But every December, we would get an Extenders Act that miraculously extended it. This was no different. We all expected this to have a fix
1: as well. Right. And just to clarify, that's the R&D tax credit. Right. We're talking about the R&D tax deduction under Section 174, but you're 100% right. The (laughs) R&D tax credit was finally made permanent in 2015 after being first introduced in 1981. So, yes, we do have that roller coaster history. I think part of that roller coaster history told us that this section 174 expensing, we will probably get to a fix. Now, here we are in September of 2022. In August of 2022, there's been two major pieces of, of legislation. One was the Semiconductor Act that was in, passed in August of which Was that Build Back off. Better? No, that was not Build Back Better. That was, I think it's actually called the Chips and Science Act of 2022, oh, okay. focused on semiconductor um, innovation. That actually also had tax provisions focused on the semiconductor industry, from my point of view, would have been a perfect fit to to be in there. And then we had also in August 22, the Inflation Reduction Act, which had a number of energy related tax provisions. It could have fit into there. I don't know what's happening in Washington, but the reality is that we're not there and it's 2022. And as we are now dealing with estimated tax payments, and now for a calendar year taxpayer, three of those four estimated tax payments are, are behind us. We've got clients that are saying, okay, what do I do? Is this, do I consider this my estimated tax payment or not? And that's kind of the dilemma that many of our clients are in. So I know Karen, you've had a lot of kind of practical uh, yeah. interactions with clients. What are you seeing?
2: So what I'm seeing is back in the in the beginning of the year, we knew that this provision existed. And, you know, so we started having discussions about the approach that we wanted to take. And I I think, you know, as you mentioned, Vinay, you know, a lot of the commentators and and you know the articles that were being published we never expected this to not be fixed so you know a lot of my clients you know of the mindset hey let's just roll the dice and and see what happens and not factor this change into our estimated tax calculations and just as a backdrop you know the r&d expenses of many of my clients are creating tax losses so they're not actually paying federal income tax and and instead they're accumulating net operating losses that are at some point in time they'll be able to, you know, shelter some portion of their their future taxable income. You know, we were always thinking, you know, throughout the year, this is going to be fixed, it's going to be fixed. So Q1, we didn't do anything. Q2, we didn't do anything. Q3, we started thinking about it. And I actually have some, some clients that completely shifted their thinking. And we actually did tax projections to see what their 2022 tax income, taxable income is going to look like. If this provision is not fixed, you know, allowed to stay in place, and um, you know, lo and behold, there's a lot of clients who are now going to be in tax-paying positions, and you know, one of one of the not ironies, but you know, one of the things that we're seeing as well is because of the changes related to the utilization of net operating losses. Even though we have significant NOLs coming into the year, there's a limitation on the amount of NOLs that we can use to offset federal taxable income, depending on the year that the loss was generated. It's possible that we're only able to offset up to 80% of taxable income, which will leave, you know, a pretty significant tax liability. So now for Q3, the the reason that we even consider estimated tax payments is because the IRS wants you to pay your tax liability in throughout the year. So by September 15th, theoretically, you should have 75% of your anticipated tax liability paid in. So, if you went Q1 and Q2 and didn't make any payments, and here we are sitting in Q3, we have a big payment that's due. And if a lot of some of my clients even just let Q3 roll and said, we'll deal with it at year end. So now here we are, it's the end of September, and December 15th is the due date for that fourth quarter estimate. So now we're looking at You know, the impact on cash flow, what the cost potentially is for not having made those estimated tax payments, because there is an interest charge that ranges uh, this year. It's from Q1. I think the interest rate was 3%. Now Q4, it's going to be 6%. It's gone up a percent each quarter. So the IRS will charge you interest on the underpayment of tax from the due date of that installment through when it's actually paid. And that's done on a, a quarterly basis. So it's not cheap money, you know, especially in this the environment where our interest rates are are rising. So that's kind of, you know, where we're at and I'm doing a lot of planning with my clients now from a cash flow standpoint, should we make a December 15th payment? How much of a payment should we make? You know, what does it mean if this provision does get reversed? Can we get the money back? So there's a, a lot of um, a lot of things going on that are just, you know, keeping me in meetings and on calls.
1: <laughs> so, so, Karen, I'll just add that that let's say somebody decides they're going to take the risk mm-hmm. and the money they would pay in taxes, as an estimate, is, has a higher rate of return if it's invested into the business than this current six percent. Mm-hmm. So they, they don't factor that into their estimated taxes. Lo and behold, it's it's. April fifteenth, 2023, the due date for a calendar or a corporate filing, and there's no change, they need to be prepared for cash flow to pay that tax because you have now you have a whole different cascading, higher rate of penalties and interest Correct. if the full tax liability is not paid in by April 15th. Correct. So I think that's something that people have to be focused on.
2: Right. And if we don't make a payment December 15th and we wait until the due date of the tax return. You're right. We have full year tax liability for 2022. That's due. And then on top of that, you have a first quarter 2023 estimate Great that point, you also yeah. have to factor in. And just as a, an aside, taxpayers can file extensions for their tax return, but that's simply an extension to file. And I think Vinay, this may have been what you were alluding to. So filing an extension to file your return doesn't delay, give you an extension of time to pay your tax. And if you don't pay, you know, a sufficient amount of tax in by the due date of your tax return, there could be penalties and interest on those penalties of up to 25% unpaid balance. So now we're talking significant. And, you know, a lot of these businesses are trying to conserve their cash because they want to reinvest it or invest it in R&D. So this is just completely contradictory to the, you know, what what these businesses are trying
1: to do. Yeah. Let me just raise two or three other just kind of partially related points. One is, none of what we're talking about impacts the r&d tax credit ironically that's permanent Um, i think every company that claims the r&d tax credit really has to model you know how are they going to be with this amortized treatment of the tax research expenses but basically the same business as usual for the r&d tax credit and for those who may not know about this there is up to $250,000 of research tax credits can be offset against payroll expense. It used to be that if you were not in a tax-paying position, the R&D tax credit didn't have much uh, benefit for you. Now, as long as you have payroll, many of our clients are, are using the R&D tax credit. So that's one consideration. The other consideration is when Section 174 allowed for a full deduction of R&D expenses, I think taxpayers kind of took a very liberal approach as to what constituted research? Because in the statute 174, I think has a broader definition than type of expenses that go into the to the credit. Right. So even if you weren't if you, even if you weren't claiming the credit, taxpayers tend to look at this very broadly. I think now we're going to have a switch in the pendulum to taxpayers looking at Section 134 narrow, very narrowly. But then the question is, OK, if I had a dollar that I'm saying is not research, then what is it? And if it could be related to a product or to a piece of software, chances are you could get to an even worse answer, where it could be capitalized into the cost of the product and maybe never get a uh, tax benefit for it until there's an ultimate disposition. So you really have to think carefully and not do any knee-jerk reactions as to saying, OK, these dollars are not research dollars anymore.
2: Yeah. And I've started to have some of those discussions with some of my clients as well to look and see what are they classifying as R&D, you know, on their P&L. Because to the extent that we can move things out, reclassify things that remain currently deductible, that's win-win. Because then we minimize the impact of these, the R&D, the new rules related to the uh, capitalization. We still get our tax deduction and we don't impact our credit because chances are if something truly is not R&D, it's not going to impact the credit calculation.
0: Yeah, Chris, you've been quiet. How is the world of accounting impacted by any of this? So I think uh, talking from from an auditor standpoint, this change in tax law doesn't really affect the gap reporting at all other than your book to tax differences and where it shows up on a, a tax provision. For gap, the r and d expenses are still deductible as curring them. But obviously, if they're going to be non-deductible on a tax return and amortized, it's just going to make another book to tax difference. If anything, this maybe more closely aligns the tax reporting to what IFRS allows, right? Because IFRS has always allowed for the capitalization of R&D costs, right? We've had some clients that have utilized IFRS reporting to maybe better maintain and and show their investments in R&D. Maybe an interesting juxtaposition to think that the tax requirements are now maybe getting closer to IFRS reporting standards as opposed to GAP, which they've always, you know, kind of followed in lockstep with. It's interesting. You know, and 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 Karen, I think as you mentioned, you know, we've been discussing this tax all year long, uh, you know, but now it's end of September, getting into October, it's really coming to a head. And Vinay, I think I think you raised some great points, you know, revisiting where expenses are appearing in the in the PL, making sure that there's a plan in place. Let's have those conversations and let's make those changes now. At the end of the day, it all comes down to risk assessment. Karen, I think you mentioned it exactly. What is your cash better spent on today? Is it pay that estimated tax, or is it hold it back for for other operating needs? And we're going to kick the can down the road to pay the tax either December, maybe uh, April fifteenth when the when the corporate taxes are due. You know, but like you both said, doing that just really takes a bit of risk because that payments would be substantial. You know, you said all year twenty twenty two tax payments and your first quarter estimate, let alone the interest that would be due for your under withholding of your estimate. So it's right. It's going to be an interesting next couple of months, you know, assuming that there's no changes, um, you know, but obviously if there's any questions by anybody out there with us. Feel free to reach out to any of us. You know, this is something I think we've all nervously watched all year. And here we are at the end of the year. And it seems like this is this is what we're going to be left with come December 31st in our 2022 tax filings.